Reconstructionist Radio presents The War Room, where we discuss tactics for strategic Christian living. Mighty Lord, extend your kingdom, be the truth with Welcome to the War Room. I'm Bill Evans. I'm in the home of Peter Allison, a pastor, uh, teaching elder yes. uh, at Crown and Covenant uh, Reformed Presbyterian Church in Conroe, Texas. And uh, providentially, uh, we were able to make our way here this evening and enjoy some rousing fellowship with members, uh, not only of his congregation, but of, of their denomination that had come in for church business. We got the chance to meet Art Cisneros and his family, and we'll see them tomorrow. And Lord willing, going to be able to join tomorrow for worship and fellowship. And uh, Peter's been gracious enough to visit with us here. And we want to talk about some topics uh, that Christians, or for that matter, most Americans, are starting to wake up to, but have not thought through. If you're familiar, and, and I want to give you encourage you all, if you haven't uh, watched the documentary Beyond Off Grid, it, it does a, put out by Jason Matthias and others, it does a pretty good job as sort of a primer on how thoroughly the existing civil government structure and the powers that be have got us triangulated and basically in a in a web, as you, if you will, of control, and of course, we, we, the famous saying is "follow the money." And so tonight, Peter is going to talk to us, and and hopefully, we're going to explore uh, issues dealing with the Federal Reserve, Social Security, fiat currency, the question of taxation uh, being theft versus the responsibility to obey authorities. So, Peter, welcome to the War Room. Hi, welcome. Thank you, Bill. I'm glad, to, glad you were able to stop by here tonight. Wasn't expecting it when I woke up this morning, but it's really wonderful to have you and sing with you. I haven't sung from the halls of Montezuma to such uh, excellent words, so you got to get that published. Well, now tell, now tell us you're a, a, a bivocational. Yes. Uh, what is your uh, full-time gig? Uh, I work as an engineer, uh, electrical engineer. Um, that's what was my graduate and undergraduate training was in. Okay. Yeah. Um, and you have written at least one, you have one published book? or uh, uh, Yes, one? one on the Federal Reserve. It's called uh, Dollar Nonsense. Okay. Is that available on Amazon? It or? is available on Amazon. Okay. Um, very good. Well, why don't you uh, tell our, the War Room listeners um, uh, what we need to know? And I'm not. I will. I will chime in from time to time, as is as is my habit. But uh, hopefully, I won't interrupt you and 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 just let you uh, instruct us as to what Christians, what believers, need to know about the monetary system. That, that we're living under. Sure, I, I'd love to. This has been a, a sort of a passion of mine for a number of years. And uh, it started when I was running a, a large private school and the board said, hey, can you give us a talk on, uh, for teacher training day, can you prepare a talk on economics? And I th and they gave me this little book and, and I thought, you know, what we really need to talk about is money everybody needs it everybody uses it and and yet it's something we're largely ignorant of what we're using and i had uh um, had learned back in my junior high days i had an economics course taught by professor uh, or by uh, pastor jim west drawn from rush Dooney's institutes of biblical law and a number of other sources and he dealt with fractional reserve banking I uh, put together this what eventually became this book on uh, the Federal Reserve but uh, to, to put it in a nutshell the Federal Reserve represents to our economy what Planned Parenthood represents to an unborn baby it, it is a death threat a death knell to our economy, to our prosperity, and and uh, makes us servants and slaves, because the Bible says that the uh, borrower is a servant of the lender. We use debt 
as money today. That's not uh, my words, that's the words of the Federal Reserve themselves. How do you use debt, which is a sum of money owed, as the way to pay a sum of money owed? It's kind of like using ashes uh, in your wood stove, or you're going to check out a book that's due at the library. How can you check out a book that's due at the library? It's not there. And, and it's, an, it's a logical absurdity, it's a semantic absurdity, and, and it's in fact an absurdity. Um, and, and, and it is, it is detrimental to us as, and I think it is, as Christians, it, uh, if we live in this debt culture and we become a part of it and we're not aware of it, that it, it does, uh, it, it affects our thinking and it's, it's about like going into battle with an arm cut off or, or a hand cut off. For people who have perhaps read or listened to Creature from Jekyll Island mm-hmm. or Aaron Russo's Freedom to Fascism. Good stuff. The Federal Reserve is kind of like the weather. Everybody talks about it, but nobody does anything about it. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the question is, is as people come out of the matrix, out of the fog, as they, through their, their fine homeschooling curriculum or through these other works that we've mentioned, they become aware of the fact that the Federal Reserve is not federal and it's not reserve and it's not a bank. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then what do you do? <laughs> uh, in your own words, what would you say it is and then what do you do about it? Yeah, so what is it? Well... About a hundred years ago, an anthropologist went out to a, an island in the Micronesia uh, chain called Yap uh, to study them. They used toroids, donuts, uh, rocks shaped as donuts, as their money. And the interesting thing about this money is tr- you don't have to have possession of it for it to be yours. So if I buy a, a house from you and I pay you with this money, I don't actually move the money. The money stays where it is and the ownership passes from uh, one person to the next. So, well, the Germans got this island and they wanted to tax the people uh, uh, to require them to build some roads. Well, they had a problem. How are you going to tax people? You could cart the money off to Germany, but the people didn't care. It was still just as viable in Germany as it was on their island. So, they had a problem. And, and they finally figured out that they could tax the people by, by marking a black X on the Phi Stone. And then the people thought that they had lost the money. And, and they would comply with the demands. And of course you could erase the black X and then they were happy again. Well, I mean, we laugh at that. I mean, we think, well, this is how, how naive can they be? And yet, we have to say, when was the last time that we saw our money? And we really haven't. We, we, we don't see it because we're using as money, as I said earlier, something that is a sum of money. We're using debt. And so Creature from Jekyll Island falls into this category a little bit. It's an excellent book. It's, very, it's one of the best books, summary books uh, on the topic. But their idea is that the Federal Reserve is this has, is this uh, fraud that's been perpetrated upon us and we're these innocent people that have been betrayed and, and to some extent that's true. But here's the thing. The Federal Reserve c- could not work. The whole system doesn't work unless people borrow money. Unless people are willing to go into debt. If, if um, nobody, if all the debts in the United States, if all the debts were paid there would be no money. And that's not my assessment. That is what the, uh, the governor of the Federal Reserve, Mariner Kless, told under oath, said under oath in a House Banking Committee testimony in, in about 1941. He said if there, was, if there were no debts, there would be no money. Because uh, the, the predecessor to Ron Paul, Congressman Wright Patman, was questioning him about you know, aren't you, are you ever going to pay back these debts? And he said they're not meant to be paid back. That, that's our money. And if you paid all the debts back, there would be no money. So my point in all this is it's not so much that the Federal Reserve has done something to us. Yes, they have. The point is that we had, because of the larceny in our heart and our desire for more, are willing to go into debt and thereby we create 
the very money and we create and empower the system that then enslaves us. You're, so your assertion is, is that the Federal Reserve system is a judgment of God. Yes. Now, my question would be, in response to that, is from paper currency that was issued and in circulation prior to the uh, creation of the Federal Reserve uh, in December, I guess, of 1913. Mm -hmm. Other than, the, other than the, the, the heading across the top, whether, you know, uh, Federal Reserve note versus United States note, I presume. Mm -hmm. or, or, how would people have been conscious of the fact that there was actually a coup that there had been a fundamental change. Uh, it wasn't it done essentially by subterfuge. It, I mean, obviously, the the introduction and, and the passage of the Federal Reserve Act yes. was done yes. uh, surreptitiously behind exactly. closed doors. Uh -huh. In the middle of night. Yeah. It, but in terms of, practically speaking, for the person engaged in uh, the exchange of goods and services mm -hmm. for for currency, how could they possibly have? known or what would was there anything to have could have alerted yes. him to that yes uh, that's an excellent question i um uh, there were a few people like uh charles Lindbergh's father that were understood this to some extent and and he was a senator at the time and the congressional record is filled with his uh, his uh warnings against it but here's how how would the per average person know well here's how what changed yes here's how max warburg sold it to the pe american people he said that we need an elastic money supply. In other words, the, our economic problems, he, according to him, were coming because we didn't have enough money. And the money, he said the money supply needed to expand, to be able to expand and contract to meet the needs of the economy. As Rush Tooney called it, larceny of the heart. When somebody comes to you and says, well, I can expand the money supply, we ought to start asking, wait a minute, God said he's the, that he is the one who, it's by his word of his power that the heavens and the earth are created. We can't create things. So how are you, Mr. Warburg, going to expand this money supply? How are you going to create something out of nothing? I, you, you, I think you're propagating a fraud. I think you're telling me a lie. And he was. But you see, he got the people to buy it because they wanted the suit and the computer. They wanted the new town hall and the new freeway. Well, the people weren't really asked, were they? Well, yes, they had to buy into this, right? You can't pass something that the public doesn't but want. But recollection served me. They they tried. I mean, this wasn't done at one swoop. They there were several attempts that failed. Yes. There were, so they had, they had, yes, uh, there were, and uh, the the one that made it, the Glass Act, you know, there was a lot of secrets, as you know, all the story there. So yes, there is certain sense of subterfuge, but there also was a selling of the public that we needed a new banking system. And okay. what's the message, or, you know, what's the sales pitch that we need new banking? We need a new banking system because we need an elastic money supply. And that's the, I think that's the where people should have realized, wait, what is an elastic money supply? How do I expand? If I have, if I'm an apple farmer, how do I expand my apple supply? Well, you know, if if I can just expand the apple uh, uh, storage facility and double my apples and then cut it in half, uh, how can I do that? How can you create a pile of money that's not there? There are obviously people who are who are Austrian economics experts, and they understand that. But aside from a person who, uh, versus Keynesian, obviously, mm -hmm. but aside from people who study economics, uh, I've certainly not read Gary North enough to to be literate on, on on that sort of topic. Aside from the fact that ultimately the inflation that's created mm -hmm. with an expanding money mm -hmm. system and the market that is gamed w when they deflate it, mm -hmm. Uh, which, of course, Jefferson's famous quote, banks, you know, uh, control the issuance of, of mm -hmm. currency and profit, but mm -hmm. from inflation and deflation, and mm -hmm. the American people wake up one day homeless. Mm -hmm. uh, aside from the fact that it creates a bubble that is unsustainable, and that every that our money is compl is constantly being devalued. I tell people that uh, fuel the prices haven't gone up; the value of money right. has gone down. Right. Um, but aside from the fact that it's a, a bubble 
or that ultimately people say it's unsustainable and we take their word for it if they're if they have the right letter behind their name and that the comports to our own biblically about the only people that are even aware that there's even an issue would be people who are self-consciously theonomic mm-hmm. and they would be would what making reference to the unjust weights and measures and they would say whoever thought that God was so concerned about an ounce or a pound. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, it's, it's a number of times throughout, the, and even in Proverbs, there's three or four times, as well as in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, that God says he hates their abomination, unjust, unjust weights and, and measures. And really what the Federal Reserve is, uh, is the ability of bankers to put their thumb on the scale without us realizing that their thumb is sitting on the scale. Uh, and, and you know, every um, it, there's nothing more fundamental to an economy and to a culture than, than its money. Everything we do, you know, is touched by the money. Whether we're paying our pastor or tithing or buying food for our family or... or a house, or getting paid by our employer or by our customers, uh, everything we're doing is 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 in, defined in terms of money, and if that money is, uh, you know, if if there's a thumb on that scale every time we're making a transaction, it's going to have a huge impact on 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 a nation's economy. In the short term, what is the threat to Americans, to Christian families? Whether you be an independent contractor, self-employed, an employee, uh, retired on a pension, what in the short term? What is what is the ramification? Of- it's, it's huge. The ramification is that uh, we can no longer afford to live in a house. We can no longer afford uh, to drive cars. Uh, that we. Uh, begin to live paycheck to paycheck that we uh, that in a, that as Christians we we lack capital to carry out the great commission we we lack we lack capital to uh provide even for our families how many people could could uh uh go without a paycheck for a month or for two months or for three months i mean there's, there's a lot of people that just live paycheck to paycheck, and if they didn't get that next paycheck for two or three months, you know they're they're getting getting close to insolvency. If, if we experience an end of life as we know it, event, new matter earthquake, Yellowstone caldera, mm-hmm. asteroid, solar flare, EMP from North Korea, what have you, mm-hmm. would it all would it all become a moot point anyway? the world is destroyed I, but I don't see. well I'm not talking about destroyed I'm talking about basically judgment upon America much like the tearing yeah. down of the walls of Jerusalem yeah. where it's going to be up to future generations of, of faithful remnant to rebuild and of course being post-millennial I'm not thinking in terms of apocalyptic mm-hmm. but post-millennialism doesn't uh, preclude yeah. periods of severe judgment yeah. that basically sort of lo- reset the bar as it were very rarely do you do you see uh, you know, a country wiped out by some massive uh, event like that the entire monetary system is electronic yeah and if the electrical grid let's say on the west coast goes down or the Texas grid went down, or peak demands, even a you know, th- where there would be a failure of the electrical grid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Essentially, doesn't that equate to a failure of the monetary system? Yes, yes, but but so but so the infrastructure still, the infrastructure would still be here. Yeah, exactly, and people are just would be dead. It. You couldn't people do anything with it. Well, people, well, the people that own it will have it. So if you own if you own your house, and you don't have a mortgage on it. And you own your car, and you don't have a mortgage on it. Uh, you're still going to own that same house, even though the banking system collapsed. So you're going to continue to live in it. But, but there's not going to be food to eat, and there'll be no electricity. Well, there are go- the people that grow the food are going to have it, and and if you have a skill, so this is this is why I I think the um, one of the key things that we need to be looking at is the owning the mean having the capital to own the means of production and thinking in terms of production. So. Yeah, you know, that's the question. You know, we we could speculate on on on, on how things shake out, but the, but you've got you've got some well thought out um, 
prescriptions for how you believe how we can safeguard. Mm -hmm. So that's what we want here on the war room is is tactical, uh, is, yeah. is, is specific tactics that we can use to uh, be in a position yeah. to, to influence future events, right. decisions, to survive. Um, and, and so the question is, is, how do we transition out of dollars and Visa and MasterCard yeah. into something that will be worth something? Well, I, I don't, yeah, that's a good question, but I don't think that's the starting point. You know, sometimes the tactical things are are very non-glamorous. Uh, and I loved having the glamorous discussions about the high, uh, the lofty ideals and what it could be and, and, and defining an end state. That, that's, there's a place for that. But when you want to talk tactics, now it becomes a, a different matter. This becomes dirty. Your fingernails are dirty. It's sweaty. It's, it's bloody. It's tiring. It's wearying. And it's anything but glamorous. And yet this is really where the battle is won. You think about what are some of the most important activities going on today. Well, it's that mother, that faithful, God-fearing mother who's, who's changing diapers, washing, wiping noses, cooking meals, and, and caring for children and raising them in the fear and nurture of the Lord. Now that's, you know, the, the world says that's not glamorous, but that's a huge thing. And so... I, I think the first, and that's what I mean by tactically, we got to get down into the weeds and into the mud. All right. And, and, and that's where we got to start. Take us there. So, the first thing I think, and, and um, th this was the first thing I identified in, in my book, which is we have to remove our children from the government school. Now, I know most many people have done them. Probably most of the people listening here have already done that. That's, that's accomplished. But, you know, uh, 30 years ago, it wasn't. So that is step one, in I think in in this in this road. Well, and hopefully our our audience is going to grow substantially. Yes. And, and the, and, but I'll tell you how significant that was. I was when I wrote the book. I was looking for an editor, and I found a, a guy who said he did editing for 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 uh, you know Christian things, and so I sent him the manuscript. He he read it. He was very gracious. He he uh, called me up and he said, you know, um, I he said. I, uh, there's one sentence you have to change, uh, or I will not edit your book. And I was like, really? Uh, I said, oh, what, what sentence is that? He said, the sentence that says you have to take your children out of the government school. He said, you know, my wife and he and his government school teachers, and he said, I, I will not edit your book. Man, he didn't say it in those words, but I won't edit your book. And I finally said, well, you know, that's the heart, that's the first step of rebuilding the ruins. For a family, for your most your typical family, I can't change that sentence. And he said, "Well, so okay, I'll mail your print manuscript back." So, okay, so, step so one. that's step one. Okay, step two, and I think, and we talked about this is to uh, is to recognize God's hand of judgment in this whole Federal Reserve and to understand uh, uh, the larceny in our heart that we we desire things. And because of our desire for things, we're willing to go into debt for them. And it's that desire that fuels the Federal Reserve. Without that desire, if we didn't borrow the money, the Federal Reserve could have all the banks they want and all the bills they want and, and the laws. And But if, if there were no people borrowing the money, the system would, would not exist. It wouldn't go anywhere. And that goes back to the idea that, that crisis set us free. And that and we're not we're not to we're not to make slaves of ourselves. We're not to make slaves, of it, but we're also to be content with the things that He's given us, and not to worry. And so, this desire to have these things and the, is what drive. It's a discontent that drives. Then I got to have this. I got to have this house. I've, I've got to have this car. And so, we're willing to go into debt instead mm -hmm. of saying, "Well, the Lord provides for the lilies, and they don't toil and spin, and He clothes them." You know. Lord will take care of us. He will provide our food. Okay. So that's so that's the rare jewel of Christian contentment. Yes, exactly. Uh, that's really the engine that that we that, that I think is a spiritual uh, thing that has to change in our heart, and uh, if we're going to stop the Federal Reserve, because that that's where it's happening. See, we we can stop 
uh, the, the government taking of our children, when we become willing to do the work to teach them ourselves instead of wanting, instead of being willing to ship them off so we can enjoy our free time. And we've got to be willing to take, say the same thing about our possessions, that we will be content with what the Lord's provided uh, and, and we don't need to go into debt. We don't need your elastic money supply. We don't need to believe a guy who can tell us that he can create something out of nothing, which is what Max Warburg said. And it's a lie every, every bit as much as what the serpent told Eve. So, we, we, we don't have a, we recognize God's hand of judgment here. Uh, so, the, the next step then is we've got to be able to give back to God his tithe. Um, and uh, you know, I think everybody recognizes that, um, but we can't expect God to bless us financially or bless our nation, bless the church, if we're not faithful in, in the tithe and in the offerings that, for Him. Okay, the, the next thing we have to do is we have to give back to the Federal Reserve, where what I call their dollar nonsense. So how do we give it back? You pay off your debts. Okay. And so when you pay so when you pay off your debts, you extinguish the money supply. You decrease the money supply in the same way that borrowing money uh, creates money. So the the Federal Reserve can create money. I'm I'm a guy who failed algebra one twice, and so I don't I don't even know how to spell quantitative easing. Mm -hmm. But so a lot of this stuff is going to be. It's going to go over their heads uh, when they're when they're asking this question. Uh, okay, if the goal is for me not to borrow money and to live with what the Lord provides, and of course to be as industrious as I can, mm -hmm. and then get myself into a situation where I can grow my own food, make my own clothes, not generate my own energy, then what do I do? What do I care about economics? When it all goes bust, I'll be sitting pretty. Well, I, I don't think that is our goal because, you know, the division of labor is what brings prosperity. And if we have to make our own food, grow our own food and sew our own clothes and weave our own cloth and build our own cars, you know, we wouldn't get breakfast eaten until after 9 o'clock at night. So the division of labor is the, is one of the cornerstones of, a, of, a, of prosperity. And we have to be able to trade. Money is essential. And so going back to everybody doing everything is not going to, is actually going backwards in terms of our, in terms of our economic growth. We, what we need is, um, we need the division of labor and we need the ability to trade. Uh, that's, that's the way you bring prosperity. So what we need to do is, is we need to begin to acquire means of production. Not all the means of production, but we need to have, we need to think about what what kinds of activities are able to take, are able to produce things, are able to, uh, whether it's food or take raw materials out of the ground, resources, and form those into useful, uh, um, useful materials, a useful form, put them into useful forms, and and do things with them. It's the it's that's what I mean by production. I don't mean that but that that we do it that we do it all, but that we are learning to produce in one area. Uh, you know, and d different people are going to give us the. Let's continue yep. with your prescription. Yep. Okay. <laughs> um, so we we uh, we give back to the Federal Reserve there, and then we we have to cast off. So this whole debt mentality, okay, um, and 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 so this is this is the key to how to live, stay out of debt, how to live in a debt-free way. So it's one thing to pay off your debts, but if you don't have, if you don't, cast so you can't off, borrow your way out of debt. You can't borrow. Is that Keynesian <laughs> economics? Uh, you can't borrow your way to prosperity. Yeah, that's what they try to do, and. Uh, uh, but cast, so casting off the the slave mentality or the debt mentality. This is what I mean by that. And uh, if you receive a thousand dollars today, how do you view that thousand dollars? Now, I think too many of us look at that thousand dollars and say, "Well, let's see. I've got uh, food, and I need two hundred dollars for food, and I need to pay." You know this bill and that bill, the phone bill and whatever, and and good, I've got ten dollars left over. 
and uh, so versus me, versus the pay yourself first mentality. That, well, that's an element, but let, let me think, let me develop that a little bit. So you take the ten dollars and you save it, or or even you may even say, let me save the ten dollars. But here, or, or let me save the hundred dollars. But here's what I'm saying: we need to start thinking uh, long term in our finances. So how, so for example, if you live in a house. You're probably going to have to re-roof that house in 20 years. And you need to be thinking about, if you're going to cast off this debt mentality, the slave mentality, you need to be thinking, of that $1,000 I just got, how much of that do I need to set aside to re-roof my house in 20 years? Because if I don't, when I get to that point in 20 years, I won't have enough money to re-roof my house. Now I'm going to have a leaking house, and my wife is saying, look, the the... The beds are wet and the roof is falling in. You've got and so what do you do? You borrow money to re-roof the house because because it's leaking, and and so the way to stay out of debt is to is to see every is to look at what your real expenses are, and to begin setting aside to begin assigning a job to every dollar that comes in that you receive, and. And what you will, what you realize is that when you start thinking that way, it totally changes your whole perspective. Would and there be some who say that Jesus says, "Don't worry, not don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough," you know. You yes, know. but he also says that the wise people lay up an inheritance for their children. Yeah. So I mean, we got to use, we got to take the whole counsel of God you, and not you, just yes, not yes. just a smorgasbord. So you can't. You need to. We need to be supporting. Uh, we need to be giving money. We need to be looking after the poor. You know, and there's a poor tithe for that, and there's a rejoicing. You know, well, I, I have heard the old adage: "Make all you can, give all you can, save all you can, uh, borrow all you can." Was never or spend all you can is not a part of that. It's not a part of that. You know, and, and on the tithe, I didn't get into the three tithes. The the uh, the first tithe, the rejoicing tithe, and, and the poor tithe. But yeah, you know, that's uh, I should have maybe at least mentioned that. Well, I see. I I, I thought I was letting you off by not pressing you on tithe because there's going to be certain people who say, well, um, you know, who does that money go to? And if you're supporting men and our families, are you're supporting widows and orphans? Mm -hmm. Is that over and above the tithe? Does a tithe have to be paid to a church, quote unquote, an organized mm -hmm. assembly with elders? Or can it be, or can I support my, uh, you know, my, uh, uh, church planner or yeah. Wycliffe Bible translator. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think both the Old Testament and the New Testament talk about free will offerings and and I think ties. And so, uh, you know, here's my. I know there's a lot of difference on this, and I and uh, I'll say uh, when we started practicing the rejoicing tithe, that 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 was huge in our life. Now we we were in a sense doing a lot of that. But I didn't. I didn't know it by name, and you didn't I didn't have a title for it. I didn't have a title for it, and I wasn't self-conscious about it. So I wasn't. I wasn't deliberately setting aside that money first. It was we were just doing it, uh, and but we weren't. So we weren't really doing a full tithe. We were cheating on that. We weren't. We weren't given the full tithe and the rejoicing tithe. We were always given a full tithe on the on what I'll call the first tithe, and we we were tithing on the gross on the first tithe. Well, you could make the case that as a theocracy. Uh, supporting the temple and its apparatus was in effect supporting and supporting the king was supporting the end was both supporting the religion and supporting the civil government now when now are we under a temple model many would say well no we, the churches should not we, we shouldn't think of it as a temple model it, we should think of it more as the synagogue model and the question is is whether it probably wouldn't be canonical in canonical literature, but the question is: Is there any is there any reference to tithe to support the the synagogue? And in which case, they'd say, "Well, no. The emphasis is not the church. We need to put the emphasis on the kingdom, yeah. and so we should support kingdom activities." There's lots of churches, so called, yeah. that we would say are more about building their own kingdoms, building right. their increasing the size of their 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 campus. So you gotta be, you gotta be clear. You gotta be careful who you're giving your tithe to. But the tithe, I think, I think to the idea that it's the synagogue model. The Levites were distributed among the land, teaching the people. The tithe went to the Levites in their teaching duty, and it's the church today that has that teaching duty. That what we call elders and pastors today are 
are those scribes that were teaching the people. And the rejoicing tithe has had a, probably just as huge impact on our family as we have set that money aside and then used it for occasions of rejoicing. It's been an opportunity to uh, that's been a great blessing to us to be able to give out of that both for our own conferences, but also for other occasions of rejoicing, like weddings. Now, now this is unscripted, of course, and, yep. and organic. So let me ask you this question, Peter. Do you suppose that based on your constitution as a scholar, as an engineer, um, a person who's very organized very and very disciplined in your mind and, mm -hmm. and everything has to be you know, cataloged in, mm -hmm. in the proper order, do you think that because of that, that that... That that you're you're predisposed to organize your giving is such that how you're doing it and, and the specifics of it are 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 important to you, and that's part of your natural makeup, God-given makeup. But for others, not so much. Yeah, there's a, there's an element in there, but I, uh, there's a tool that we found out about ten years ago that has another been a big thing. We'll and, share it with and us. It's enable, and it's enabled me to cut by ninety percent the, the the time I spend on finance. I, I spend almost nothing on finances, not very little time, because of this tool. I I really don't. I I mean I I. I set aside, you know, basically every year about what where the things go, and it just runs on auto. You know, it, the, the money goes into the, you know, as the money comes in, it go as it as the Lord provides, it goes where it's supposed to go, and I don't I don't pay any attention to it. It's called envelopes, and it, and it's a and it is an electronic system that does exactly what the name suggests, and it's ingenious, and it's it's a lifesaver for me as far as I don't I just don't have to spend any time almost whatsoever it's all done automatically you know, I just fund I have a you know hit a button and it funds all the envelopes based on the what money the Lord has provided and and so it goes into every, I have a rejoicing tithe envelope and and so it it goes money goes in there and say there's a wedding coming is up. this a program is it an app it, it is a it is a um, it's a it was developed initially between Finicity and Crown Financial, but it's Crown Financial has kind of backed out of it, and it's just this Finicity. So it is a, it is a, yes, you have an app on your iPhone or whatever, but it's a program that you you log into a website. You lo, it's a so there's not no software on your on your computer. You're simply going to a website, and you have set that website up so that every day that website goes to all your financial accounts, your online accounts, and it pulls down all the transactions and and uh, from all your accounts and you can even you can put on your long term stock account and you can put any account you want on it. And and it ha and so all those transactions and you can write rules so that when it sees a gas station it puts it in the gas and so on. So pretty much it, it auto it just Auto populates all those. And there's a few that are that I that are not auto populated, and you go in. Every, I go in maybe every two weeks and clean those up. Um, but the vast majority are auto filled. And so what envelopes does this is this it allows you to do what I was talking about earlier. It allows you to um, uh, set aside money in an envelope for a future use and and it also allows you to to so it allows you to allocate current income to future expenses in a very simple way but it also tells you see a budget tells you how much you spent or, or a tr traditional financial software like any of your accounting programs they tell you how much you spent well that's not what i need to know what i need to know is how much is available to spend so instead of looking at the bank balance i know if i want to buy books i look at what's in the it's in the book balance and and actually my books are part of the rejoicing tide that's a segment a small segment of it because you go to a conference um, you're you're going to buy materials and books and so that's a part of that aspect of and so I look at that that envelope and if that envelope says ten dollars and I only have ten dollars if it says a hundred then I've got a hundred so it, it's uh, it's made it very simple to make financial decisions and I take my eye off the bank account amount and I start looking at the envelopes, and as soon as you take your eye off that bank account amount and stop making financial decisions based on the number in the bank account and start making it based on the number in a particular envelope, 
what happens, they say, in most cases, and it was certainly true of us, your bank account balance all of a sudden starts to climb. It's funny how that happens. Because, see, you're saving. you got all these envelopes you're saving. And it and it's totally, it's nothing I've spent any time on. Like, I, there's an envelope there for capital expenditures on the house. And and you're just putting your money in there every time you get, all right. uh, and, so, and it goes in there. So, so in the interest of, of yeah. uh, moving along, yeah, what, sure, what sure. is next? Okay. Because I've had a couple well, of questions we're going to yeah. ask, too. So, basically, I, I've kind of gone, I've run on ahead a little bit and uh, talked about this giving every dollar a job. And, and basically, you're living you're, you're living ahead. You're living paid up. In debt, you're living in advance. You're, you're, taking, in you're taking emotions out of the equation, aren't you? Well, a lot, a lot of ways you are, yes. Yeah. But, and, but you have a lot more liberty. Yeah, I tell you, it, it's so freeing to walk into some place and... and the money's already there. You're gonna buy when you when I want to give a gift now. See, it used to be you. you no, I think it's an intriguing idea. Yeah, I'm gonna look it up. I, I would agonize see. over a gift. Like, how much do I have to give? Because because I got all these things. Well, now all that stress is gone, and giving becomes okay. a great joy because so envelopes. And this envelopes. is the and this is the app. Our program. Yeah. We're gonna look at that. Yeah, you're gonna look at envelopes. And, and, and is it just called envelopes? It's just it? called envelopes. Yeah, M V E L O P E S. All right. And, and there are a couple other similar, okay. but I think. This is the best one. Okay, all right. All right so, so you go. So going to the ant, um, basically, is living ahead. He that gathers in summer is a wise son, but he that sleeps in the harvest is a son that causes shame. The ants lay ahead for the winter, and and that's what we really need to. We have to have that mentality instead of the debt mentality, which is get it now and then pay for it later. We need to pay for it now and get it later. You may be get, you may be coming to this. I want to ask you this yep. because you have a large family. Yep. You have seven children. The oldest two are married. They're all they all live in close proximity. Worship together. Uh, what do you have to say briefly or uh, about um, combining or pulling resources, having everything in common? Uh, what do you have in common? Uh, is there such a thing as a as a combined fund for family issues or? Uh, in setting up a in setting up a community, a Christian mm-hmm. social order mm-hmm. where you have cooperation and interaction, not just mm-hmm. independence and atomic families. Mm-hmm. What do you recommend in that respect? What's practical? What do you do? Um, I we're just getting to there because my my married children have only been married let's say in the last five years or so, so. We have not gotten to that step, but there is some. There are some interesting, intriguing works out there. I think is one by. There, there's one. Um, I can't think of the title now. It's a little book, um, but it's 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 about this line of thinking. How do we set up sort of the extended family uh, management government systems? And I think what's intriguing about his idea, and, and he looks at uh, some of these wealthy families and how do they preserve family wealth and how do they manage uh, in a, at a higher level in the family uh, assets and so on. And, uh, and there are structures for doing that. And, and yes, the, the answer is I, you, we can begin to develop. So when somebody... So when I die, let's say, for example, and I've set up a, uh, a trust of some sort such that my uh, the the remaining assets and wealth go into that and then that's managed by trustees in the family that money become that capital then becomes available for the purpose of the trust that I set up well let's say I'm uh, you know I want to provide for education or I want to provide capital for grandchildren to go into business um I think that's how to get there, but I'm, that that's kind of beyond where I am in my life at this point in terms of setting all that up. And so maybe in another 20 years, we can have this conversation. I can tell well, you I how to do it, but it's a great question, and, and it's something we need to look well, at. Well, I only ask great questions. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I think much like Samaritan's ministry, you know, with health care, mm-hmm. I've often wondered why Christians, I mean, Numerically, I mean, obviously we're mm-hmm. disjointed and, mm-hmm. and fractured and this and that. But why don't why aren't we self-insured as far as life insurance? Why don't churches self-insure their their congregations? Yes, well, we could. Uh, um, the the thing we have to be careful about, I think, on the health cost sharing, 
is, and I think we're getting better. Uh, I think we're getting better at this. But we don't want it to become socialism. In other words, where we all share each other's uh, medical bills. We need to. I think we need to distinguish between a catastrophe that isn't planned for, and routine planning for things like. And there's there are medical expenses that you plan for, and then there are catastrophes that right. aren't going to happen to everybody. Yeah, I think we're talking about major, yeah. you know, major medical and not yeah. uh, not womb to tomb. Uh, yeah, you know, um, PPOs and where right. you know you have fifteen dollar copays for doctor visits, and so no, I think we're talking about right. cases where uh, you have catastrophe right. things that would that we you could not be accounted for and uh, and planned for. Not, uh, but anyway, yeah, just, yeah, that's a good thing. It's something we could do. I, I uh, it's not an area I've looked at. So let's. Less, uh, so these are, you have another or two um, steps? I, well, that you, um, and again, this is, let's remind everybody what we're talking about. We're ta yeah. How to basically uh, defang or to, to remove the, the, the burden or to dis disembowel the beast, the, F mm -hmm. the Federal Reserve, mm -hmm. basically. Yes, so we can still keep using uh, Federal Reserve notes to trade in. I mean, yes, they are. They affect, a Federal Reserve note is, in essence, a a note that the issuer refuses to redeem, and and a note that the issuer refuses to redeem is essentially a bad check. And yes, we're passing around bad checks, and technically, that is, you could say that you could argue that that's against the law, but I, but I don't think that's the first step. You don't throw that out. I think the, these are the uh, these are the first steps. We have to reestablish biblical principles in our economic life. Well, whether whether anyone practicing these principles ever lives to see the day when the Federal Reserve is no longer in power, at the very least they'll live a more stress-free life. You will, but, but it, it yes, you will. But it changes. I think your your entire perspective and the way you live, and and really uh, uh, frees you to begin making good decisions, um, good financial decisions, which do have an impact on, on the kingdom. I mean, all, all the, the Bible speaks a lot to our money and, and to debt and to, you know, li like, I, like I talked about, living ahead as opposed to living behind. And, and so we need to, we need to uh, I think we need, that's one area that the church needs to, to uh, obey the Lord in, in America. And, and when we, when we do that, when we, when you, when you're looking down the road and it all is a fog, right? In obedience to the word of God, we take the first step. And I think that's what we have to do here. Just like Christian parents, a generation ago. So my parents brought me home and taught me at home in the 70s, and and, and I was homeschooled. It, you know, they didn't. I don't think they had this. Well, they saw a lot, but. Um, you, we don't always see very. Let's say, take the Federal Reserve. We don't see clearly how to completely replace. I mean, we can come up with these things on paper, I know, but but practically, how to do it? We don't see that very clearly. I, I say we have to believe the Word of God when it talks about providing for us, when it talks about living ahead instead of behind, and not living in debt, not having a debt mentality. We need to we need to understand that and obey that. Take that step, and then you will begin to as you walk by faith. In the Word of God, then you'll begin to see farther what the next step is. Well, I think for most most families, if you ask them to make a list of their ten most pressing, urgent concerns, uh, the Federal Reserve wouldn't make it, it isn't. But but the list because it, because they don't realize the Federal Reserve is behind everything they're doing. They would say, "What's the urgent thing?" Well, I got this mortgage, and I've got you know I've got the devalued money and. That impact that that causes on my my grocery budget and on everything. Well, before the Federal Reserve, you didn't have house mortgages. <laughs> it was only because of the Federal Reserve that we now have house mortgages. So, what they don't realize is that that Federal Reserve is behind all those things they just said are, are problems and headaches. Let's let's uh, I want to get to a couple of other topics here. Uh, we may go over. I can maybe yeah, edit yeah. some of this out. I'd like you to address the issue. Of taxation is theft, our okay. taxation without representation versus we must obey authority. Well, Can you speak to that for a few minutes. Yeah, I, I and I again, I think there's there's going to be differences on this, but I take Romans uh, um, 
13 to be teaching that the civil magistrate is God's ordained servant and we must pay taxes, lawful taxes, because for that very thing. Because, to whom taxes are due. Yeah, because he, now, because he is, attends continually to this very thing. So the cause principle of paying pastors was that, that that's their job, that's their work, and they deserve to be paid for that work because that's their full-time labor. And the same argument I think Paul makes for the civil magistrate, that that's his full-time labor to see, to see justice, to bring God's vengeance on those who do evil, bring the wheel over the wicked, and to reward those who do well. But when well. they're doing everything but that, well, are they still... Are they still I, lawful rulers? I, I, you know, is, in other words, is it does God ever demand obedience to tyrants? And secondly, okay. is the collective arm or branch of this regime, yes. the Internal Revenue Service, not a part of the federal government? It, it's a subcontractor of the United of the Treasury Department, mm -hmm. a private corporation, right. presumably, or right. that's that's the rumor. Is that is that is okay. does that constitute? Since the Sixteenth Amendment was was mm -hmm. never ratified, yeah, Benson it, it. does it classify as taxes to whom taxes is due? Are they due? Um, is there a so law? I, I would say there, and I've seen this on Senator's letterhead. Senator Inouye has a letter. Uh, Erwin Schiff got it out of him, but I I would say that. Um, there is no law. In fact, I think Aaron Russo even almost got it out of the one of the key drafters of the of the code. But there there is no law that requires the payment of income tax, and uh, so. But to get back to your question earlier, what about taxation? So I believe we are. I believe Scripture teaches that we ought to pay a tax. Now, what? Now, there's another question: Is what's a biblical tax? And so, it's not an income tax. That's not a biblical tax. We're talking about a head tax. I think we're talking about a head tax. It would be a biblical tax that, that we ought to owe. Now... And it wouldn't be graduated either. And it wouldn't be graduated. Now, what if the, a government passes a law legitimately that taxes our income somehow? A legitimate law. And it doesn't say it's a... It's not... Um, it may not be a biblically... Valid law. We may say, well, biblically, they shouldn't be taxing it. But what if they pass a legitimate law that says that you owe an income tax? I, I believe we would be obligated to pay that tax. But uh, when you're talking about our IRS and our um, income tax laws, I don't believe there is a law that requires us to pay the income tax. So people that don't pay, I would say. They have no, we have no moral duty to pay an income tax. Not because we shouldn't pay taxes or taxation is theft. I, I disagree with taxation is theft. But I, but I, legally, there is no law, no legitimate law, that requires us to pay income tax. If you look at the tax code, it's not there. And, but it's not easy because of the way it's written and, and laws that are, the, the language that's changed and missing. And I think there's a guy by the name of Tommy Cryer, who's a lawyer out of Alabama. Yeah, he's passed that, away. Yeah, that had the best argument. Uh, and I've read a lot of people, and it, it gets very complicated. His was, his was followable to a non-lawyer that made sense, but a number of people have made the point. So I don't think there is a, you have a because of that, we don't have a moral duty, but... Romans 13 does talk about being subject for wrath's sake. And so I think there is prudence um, to be subject for wrath's sake. You have to pick sake. your fights. Yeah. And, and, of course, people naively will often say, you mean you don't pay taxes? Well, no, I pay taxes every time I buy an article. Mm -hmm. I pay taxes, you know, and at you, the fuel pump. The, you pay all the taxes the, that are due, that are that you that are morally. Well, owed. see, that's the that's the deal. That's a, you, we're talking about uh, sales taxes or, or, or fees or, mm -hmm. or fines or, or what have you. But so, but in terms of the income tax, uh, yeah, I, so the 16th Amendment was never. Now, what they've said is that the 16th Amendment doesn't add any new taxes. It, um, right. Well, even if even it though wasn't, it wasn't it, right, even though it wasn't right, right they it doesn't add any new taxes. Uh, we had a question that came up today on uh, level-headed Christian reconstruction. So we'll end with this: Is Social Security numbers <laughs> should I? Uh, and you, you made an interesting comment. You said once you're in it, you can't get out of it. Yes. Uh, so uh, you you can speak to that. I I uh, I have a Social Security number. 
Uh, I, in the interest of full, full yes. disclosure, I do not file yes. a federal tax, and I'm not subject to a state tax because I don't yep. reside in a, in a state right. that, that levies one. But uh, they take the money, they extort it from my employer, mm-hmm. but I do not ask for it back. In, not, in addition, uh, I'm not willing to sign a form that asserts that it is a legitimate right. debt that I owe. Yeah, there's a lot of problems with the IRA. You know, the, the, the 1040 is uh, breaks your Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination and, and on and on and on. But but to the Social Security number. Yeah, so the Social Security, uh, fundamentally, where does our Social Security come from? It doesn't come from the federal government. And so uh, the Social Security number is actually an income tax. And it's... Um, uh, but the social security number is not, uh, there's no law that requires you to get a social security number. And so why do you want a social security number? Why are you, why do you look, why is somebody going to look to the federal government uh, for their social security? Well, now they've started holding your baby. You can't take the baby out of the hospital unless he, the baby has one. You've heard of those cases uh-huh. where families have, where parents have refused to fill out the proper forms for the baby, to, the newborn, to be issued a social security number, and they would kidnap I, I, the baby. Yeah, I, I mean, they can do a lot of things. Obviously, that's patently illegal, but a lot of times these things happen because when you, when you dig down into the story, you find that, well, maybe they signed up for a government program that required a social security. I don't know, but, but a lot of times I find that when I hear these stories, people have unwittingly signed stuff and gotten involved in things like we had a family in our church that had a newborn baby in neonatal intensive care and the pressure and the subterfuge the deception that this family faced in in them trying to get information and and getting them to unwittingly sign up for government programs was unbelievable they they, had, they pulled every trick in the book now thankfully they were wise enough to to say no i i don't want your program and I don't want your program, but they would come and well, well, we could, this pro, this will provide you do this, and it will provide this great medical benefit for your baby, and and I, so I think a lot of times people get wrapped, hooked into these things. So I don't know about those cases, but there is no law. I, I've definitely had to had babies in hospitals with seven children, um, and uh, there is and yes, there's it can be a hairy things sometimes, especially uh, you get into a lot of other areas like vaccinations and so forth, but um, that's a whole other topic. Social security number, there's no law that requires it. I never got any for my children because I said, why Why am I going to put them into the, uh, and look to the federal government for their social security? That's a function of the family. So I didn't get it. And, and that meant that I didn't claim my, any of my seven children on my taxes so that, you know, I paid every year uh, a lot of extra money not to do that but what I found is is you get into trouble when you when you try and take the cheese and as long as you're willing to pay your own way and not take the cheese you you can avoid a lot and I, I have a, if we have time I have an interesting experiment er, a, a situation that happened um, with my um, with my other employer um, uh, over the social security numbers, so I uh, I develop numbers, just serial numbers, if you will, for the children. So because a lot of times they don't need a social security number, they just need a database key. They just need something to key in because their program requires something there. And so I would, and so if I'm dealing with a non-government entity that just needed a number and it wasn't ever going to be used with the government as a social security number I would say well I have a number if you need it and I've done that with insurance it, uh, one of the first and one of my sons so needed insurance well he didn't have a social security number uh, and I said well do you need a social security number or do you just need a number for your database well he had to pass it up to the manager uh, and uh, I talked to that guy, and he and he says, "Well, no, I don't need a social security. Number. I just need a number for our program." Did you? Would you? Right. Would, do you feel like you would have had to have asked him? Could you have done it without asking him and getting this uh, 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 approval? I could have, but I wanted to make sure. I don't want to represent that number as a social security number if it's going to be used. In well, because if they can deny a claim for any reason, they will. Well, well, I, th- this was uh, my insurance. I'm paying that I'm going to pay them, and they, they weren't even going to insure him, right, without without this number. So 
by asking that question, I feel I'm not I'm not engaging in any fraud. Right. Not, well, you have to make sure that yeah, the information you give them is true and accurate, and, it's true, or and they understand what because if it's I'm not, getting. then they so, can deny a claim yeah. if and when there's yeah. one so made. He, so he so he basically said, okay, well, give me that. I said, I ha- if you don't need a social security number, I have a number if you need to key it in. And he said, oh, he I said, okay, well, give it to me. So I did. He said, well, that works. So they issued that he's got insurance, and and uh, that's the way it's been. We, it's been a learning experience, but. But I have adult children. auto insurance. Auto insurance. Um, you know, he's got a business. He's got a license as a. He's got a. He's got a tax estate license for a business. Now that's the question. That's the. That's the one everybody wants to know, because people are the impression that you cannot open a bank account, you cannot run a business, or you cannot work for a company. If now, I presume it working. It's much different if you're working for yourself. If right. you're an independent contractor, it's a lot. Yeah, you cannot. Virtually get a job as an as a as a W two employee without one because your employer is not going to risk running afoul of the Internal Revenue Service or the federal mafias. Right, but they can do like what your your employer is apparently doing, which is well, you have a number there with them. Well, we have had some employers that were willing. That you don't have to have a number, right? And and we, I found this manual. I don't know who wrote it, but it's called a uh, it's called a policy manual. Social security number not required. It was something floating around the internet. It's really just a resource of a lot of uh, a lot of laws and a lot of court cases and things that related to this area. And I found that actually, in one sense, it was very interesting to see somebody put together this. 250-page document. On the other hand, a lot of it wasn't directly helpful in our situation, but it's a great resource. Uh, uh, it was somebody had actually been in a uh, sued. I think it was what's that? Um, oh, what's that uh, Mexican fast food place? Um, Taco Bell. Taco Bell. I think it was Taco Bell. Somebody had actually sued Taco Bell because they denied him a job because they didn't have a social security number, and they won. And they got the court case in here on that. Um, and stuff. So, but so that's a, there, there's there's resources out there. And again, it's a matter of yes, it's maybe not simple. But who said our life is going to be simple? If you we were, when we're living for to serve the Lord and we're living um, according to the principles of His Word. And I'm not saying that it's a sin to have a social security number. I'm simply saying that when we've purposed for principled reasons to do things, yes, it's going to be a little bit harder. But uh, you can do it. The Lord has provided avenues and things and so everything that he's needed my sons have needed to do they've been able to do without social security well you know there's a a, probably tens of millions of of people who name the name of christ who think i don't know any of this stuff i'm never going to know any of this stuff and what difference is it going to make why does all this make different make a difference because uh who are you fearing I mean, who, who do you believe God's word and, and that God is sufficient for all of your needs? Or do you say, God isn't sufficient. i got to have a social security number in order to live. I think it comes down to that. Well, we appreciate you uh, having us tonight out here and for the fine international cuisine <laughs> we enjoyed as well as a really really good belgian beer it tasted almost more like a fruity drink <laughs> uh, but uh, uh peter uh, we thank you again and folks we thank you all for listening to us peter before you go give us the name of your book again yeah yes it's called uh, dollar nonsense uh, the uh respected fraud and beneficial devastation of the federal reserve and uh, do you have uh, on your on the congregation's website on Crown and Covenant Reform Presbyterian? Do you have or on Sermon Audio? Are you on Sermon Audio or where do you, where is there an archive of your articles or sermons? Uh, sermons are archived on the church website. We we hope soon actually that we're thinking of moving over to Sermon Audio, but right now they're on they're on the church website and. Uh, I don't really have a good place for um, for lo- most articles. I, I just have them. I, I do have a blog, but it's not really a blog as people think of it. It's more a place where I publish articles. <laughs> okay, and, and I, you know, we talked about this earlier, and certainly within this argu- audience, we're aware, and of course, I, one of the my introductory questions I asked Peter tonight and Peter's an associate of Phil Kaiser, who's a, a well-known and respected contributor to Reconstructionist Radio. Um, and, the, and the question is, is can we 
uh, work together without being unanimous in our uh, in our um, perspective on these things. I say not only can we, we must. Right. And uh, in the same way that we, Pado and Credo Baptists have made a peace treaty, mm-hmm. un- un- unwritten some time ago, that we are not going to disfellowship mm-hmm. or marginalize the uh, good things being done and said by our brothers and sisters mm-hmm. who don't agree with us on that matter. It's essential that if we're going to build the kingdom and seek it first, that we've got to put secondary and tertiary issues uh, in those areas we have to deal right. with in, in a charitable way and and not allow those to prevent us from working in cooperation to advance the kingdom. Right. And so I look at all these things we've talked about, particularly like Social Security numbers or taxes and so on, and, and th- those are good examples of things where I don't say that, well, in order to be a good Christian, in order to be biblical, you can't have a Social Security number. What I, what I do say is... <laughs> That we all have our different areas of the kingdom that we're laboring in. We all have things that we're thinking about, and we're headed down this. And and I'm not doing anything over here. You've probably got some better things over there. I'm I'm working over here, and hopefully we can learn from each other. But you know we can't do everything. Well, of course, so. people, you know, Christians of our particular stripe, we would say that homeschooling is or uh, not sending your children to Caesar School is a non-negotiable item. Uh. Yet we find out that. Our deal breaker is somebody else's tertiary doctrine. Mm-hmm. So it's really it's well, I, I, yeah. So Christian education actually, as my vow as a minister of the gospel in 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 our denomination is is that we understand that the Bible requires and commands a Christian education. And and I'm in a full agreement with that, and that that puts us firmly in the one percent. Mm-hmm. It does. <laughs> it does. And if you now you start adding in the IRS and Social Security numbers and the Federal Reserve, and you go into sub percents of one percent. Yeah. Well, Peter Allison, it's been a pleasure for, and thank you for joining us here on the War Room. Thank you. Thank you for joining us in the War Room. Please enjoy The Nation's Rage, Psalm 2, by my soul among lions. Why do the nations rage? 